0: needed permission to go outside, need permission to go see your friends, need permission to go see your family, need permission to just do basic things in life that previously you never needed to permission for or to show your papers for or to be identified for, all of that. And I think the reason why people are, are, are slipping into it is that I also think it's just complacency. I think it's complacency and I also do think it's cowardice as well. The
1: following is the audio version of a video released at peakprosperity.com visit peakprosperity.com to watch the video and to find other insightful content such as articles
0: discussion forums and exclusive subscriber only content
1: hello i'm dr chris martinson i am extremely excited about today's guest as he is one of the most on point truth tellers keen observers and voices of reason that i've had the pleasure of following on social media now we get to hear from him directly. His name is
0: Zubi. Come to me for wisdom, so I'm more than a musician. I could never be a victim. I don't meet the definition.
1: He's an independent rapper, author, podcast host, public speaker, creative entrepreneur, with over 1 million followers on social media. Interesting background. He was born in England, raised in Saudi Arabia, and is a graduate of Oxford University. He sold over 30,000 albums independently, performed in eight countries, has gained 10 million plus online video views, and perhaps most interestingly, his podcast, Real Talk with Zuby, has surpassed 2 million downloads, reaches thousands of global listeners every week. Zuby's appeared on the Joe Rogan Experience, BBC, Fox News, Sky News, Candace Owen Show, many, many others. Zuby, welcome to the program.
0: How's it going, Chris? Good to see you.
1: Hey, thanks. It's, it's really good to have you on the program. Seriously, very excited by this. So you just recently competed, completed a U.S. tour. Uh, mm-hmm. You went around. Um, I'm just intrigued. What, what what did you take away from that? What did you, what surprised you in that tour?
0: Uh, wow, that's a that's a big question. I would say one of the biggest things that surprised me was just how much <laughs> the sheer amount of love out there. Um, last time I was in the USA was in 2019. And I would built up quite a profile by that point, but in the two years between then and now, I've seen numbers go up online. I've seen follower counts increase and view numbers increase and all of that. But it's another thing to be out and about in the real world, in different cities and in different countries, and to constantly have people recognizing me and stopping me, coming to meetups, just... I met so many amazing people hundreds and hundreds really thousands thousands of amazing people and just to know that i've had some positive impact and influence and been able to be a motivation and an inspiration to so many people has truly been a blessing and being out there in person really made me realize just uh how far that's come
1: it's amazing we're going to be showing some pictures here that i of your uh you, you, with your fans out there, and I'll tell you my takeaway from these pictures. I don't see a lot of fear. People look healthy and attractive, and um, you know you're all clustered together. I don't see masks or anything like that. It was it doesn't really look like you were COVID impacted too much in these photos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not, not at all. I don't think a, I don't think a single person. I think I did about ten meetups in all the different cities, and I don't think a single person came not a single person came in a mask. I don't want to say nobody had one because someone probably had one in their pocket. Yeah. But uh, certainly with the meetups, nah, no, no, nobody had them.
1: Did you notice any difference sort of, I mean, you went to a lot of states, uh, red states, blue states, if I could classify them that way. Did mm-hmm. you have a, a sense of a, of a difference in that particular dynamic or the- Yeah,
0: the, the a gigantic center? difference, gigantic difference. Um, I mean, the rules and the restrictions and the mandates and stuff like that, differ from city to city and state to state, obviously country to country, but in the US, having all the 50 different states, it makes a huge difference. And um over the course of my travels, I mean I went to Texas, Florida, Tennessee, Nevada, California, Hawaii, New York, Maryland, North Carolina, and who am I missing? Maine as well. Um, and the differences between some of them were pretty, pretty extreme. Going from somewhere like uh, Dallas, Texas, to Los Angeles, California, or going from Maryland to Orlando or Miami, really different, really different uh, types of people, very different responses, different rules and restrictions and laws, and it it was very different, very very different atmosphere, very very different energy. Um, mm-hmm. One was very much one of fear and paranoia and suspicion. Across large swathes of the population. The other was like living in 2018 or 2019, just people going about their daily lives, being normal, uh, not very much, very few signs of anything in particular going on. So that's how it's been. I've actually traveled to seven different countries over the past 18 months or so as well. And I've noticed that same pattern. Also, it varies depending on what time that you're going there. Some places have gotten tighter and more restrictive. Some places have opened up more. But certainly in the US, um, the variation across the country is huge, even within the same state. I mean, if you're in Los Angeles County and then you go to Orange County, you're going to see a night and day difference. And if you're in Portland, Maine versus rural Maine, you're going to see a huge difference. So it's Pretty bizarre. It's pretty bizarre, especially coming in as an outsider. But I think something like that is pretty weird to Americans as well.
1: I think that's a fabulous opportunity to come in as a Martian, as it were, to to just you know feel the zeitgeist and 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 see those differences. Because to me, I mean, I want to get into your your role as a health expert and a fitness coach and all of that. Um, but it seems to me that it should be obvious by now that if you live with fear and paranoia and uh, anxiety just as a a daily sort of consumption pattern, the health impacts on that, those have to be pretty profound over time, that chronic sort of wasting of, of all that energy on stuff that you can't do anything about. I mean, this fear that people are carrying, it's around an invisible enemy. That they have no clue about they often have a very very outsized sense of what the actual risks are and so i've talked with people zuby who are young and healthy who are almost convinced that if they get COVID, it's a death sentence and that mismatch between the actual risk they face and the one that they've bought into feels unhealthy to me did you notice that as a
0: yeah absolutely it's um it's you know in trying to supposedly stop one illness They've created a host of other illnesses, and largely illness of the mind. Some people have completely lost their minds. It's like their their brains have been broken, and they're no longer living in an objective reality. Um, you know, at the very start of this thing, I can understand people responding to any type of new threat. I think typically one could argue that it's better to overreact rather than to underreact because if you underreact and something is you know very very bad then you know you you can you can kind of get caught with your guard down uh, whereas if you overreact okay you you waste expend uh, too much energy and you might look silly for a little while but then things calm down and everything's okay but you've had people who have been on high 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 alert now for approaching 2 years and as you said if you're talking about people who are are young and otherwise healthy then it doesn't make sense. It's an extraordinarily disproportionate response to the actual threat. If someone is there thinking that if you know if you're 25 years old and, and in decent shape and you're thinking that, oh, you know, this is a, a a death sentence to to get it, then you're you're not living in you're not living in reality. And you're not really living because you're you're simply existing. You're too afraid to do to just, just live your life. Um, because you're living in such a state of fear and that constant anxiety and constant stress and all those stress hormones, that's also really, really detrimental to people's health, not just their lives and ability to have fun, but it's not good for them. So things should be proportionate. Things should be balanced every single day. We live with all types of threat. We are constantly running risk analysis every single time you cross the street, every time you step outside, every time you get in a car, I mean, if you're 25 years old, you should be more afraid of getting in a car than you are of this uh, particular disease. Then that's just going by statistics. That's going off of facts and data. But people don't look at it that way. Um, some people do, some people don't. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, you know the level of hysteria that's been been driven into people and a lot of this has come from governments, a lot of it has come from the media. The nonstop 600 plus day fear campaign. And it's not a complete shock that some people have been affected in such a way. Um, I don't necessarily know how to get everybody out of it. I think perhaps there are some people who are always going to live this way now. And I think that's a shame. But um, yeah, I, I think from the beginning, something I've said from very early on is that if we're going to talk about health, And if this is what this is all supposed to be about, about health, then we need to speak more. We need to speak holistically, right? Mm -hmm. There's not just one disease out there or one threat out there. There are a a lot of things, uh, then there's many aspects to health that exist from managing your body weight to exercise, drinking enough water, nutrition, getting enough sleep, all of that good stuff, even not living in a constant state of stress and being around people who, um, keep you in a positive mind state and doing things that are positive for you. All of that is extraordinarily important. Mental health and physical health are combined. Um, we, we like to think of these in Western societies, these two very separate entities. You hear people talk about, you know, mental health, like it's totally detached from physical health, but these things are very strongly connected and intertwined. And this would have been the perfect opportunity to have a more holistic conversation about health,
1: which we've never really had in this country right so it um and and this has exposed that later bear you know it was one of the first tweets i remember where i was like who is this guy and you caught me i think you said uh just from memory the hardest part about two weeks to flatten the curve is the first 500 days
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i've I've updated it to 600 now 600 so so
1: um and, and then just recently, November 27th, you have a tweet here. By the way, how much time do you spend composing these tweets? Because they're like little. I just do beautiful. them on the fly. Jeez, you're good. Uh, it's amazing. I, I'm jealous. It's <laughs> I'm, all a, I'm a rapper, so
0: words are kind of my thing.
1: Yeah, you just connect right away. Uh, On November 27th, you tweeted here, and by the way, the handle is at Zuby, Z-U-B-Y music, at Zuby music on Twitter is, it's been two years and the powers that be have not recommended vitamin D nor weight loss yet. So I can say with absolute certainty, this ain't about your health, purely face diapers, antisocial behavior, needles, you will own nothing. And they will be happy and rich. This really hasn't been about like if it was about our health, if it was about public health, we would have heard about vitamin D and weight loss.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, those are real. Those are really low hanging fruit. Yeah. And look, if we're if we're looking at statistics for anyone who is concerned about this particular disease, I know in the USA they had studies showing that 78 percent of the people who were hospitalized um, with this virus were overweight or obese Mm -hmm. also a very high percentage. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but the majority, more than 50% of people were also vitamin D deficient. I think it could have been as high as 80%. Vitamin D is extraordinarily cheap. Um, losing weight is not something that's necessarily easy, but it can be done and you have the power to do it. It's relatively simple and straightforward. Simple and straightforward does not mean easy, but again, it's, it's, it's been two years. So if someone was seriously concerned about their health and props to everyone who, who has done this, I know people who have lost significant amounts of weight and taken their health really under, really got their health under control over this time period. And I, I absolutely salute that. Um, but it would have been fantastic to have more messaging and more conversations around that because going beyond, I mean, if you look at the biggest killers around the world, Certainly the biggest killer in the USA, biggest killer globally is cardiovascular disease. Right now, no, you know, death comes for us all it's in, life has a hundred percent mortality. rate. Right? Yep. But in terms of being able to live healthy lives and to extend our lifespans, then everybody knows that it's important to have your weight under control. Everybody knows that everyone knows that obesity can lead to all sorts of other problems, including the risk of various types of cancer. And none of this should be controversial. It's not controversial to suggest to people that smoking is unhealthy or that smoking two packs of cigarettes a day could lead to mouth cancer and lung cancer and all that kind of thing. Um, and so it shouldn't be controversial or considered politically incorrect to say the same thing about someone being being severely overweight. That's not a moral condemnation upon that person or saying that they're a bad person or anything like that is very, it's especially in our modern society, it's very, it's very easy to gain weight, especially in the USA. I don't think there's any country where it's easier to, to gain weight and to enjoy the process, but people need to take that personal responsibility and recognize that, okay, this is something that I, I can control. And I, my, my, one of my general thoughts in life is that we should control the things that we have the, that we have the ability to. Life, life is unpredictable, mm-hmm. accidents happen, there's random things and catastrophes that can come out of seemingly nowhere, and we don't have control of absolutely everything. But for the things that we do, we we shouldn't be reckless with them, especially when it comes to our, our own bodies and our own health, I'm, I'm a big advocate for that.
1: Now, let's let's go there very quickly. Your book, Strong Advice, uh, that's just come out in paperback. I saw some, some um, promo around that. What what's the approach you took in that book? What's in there?
0: Sure thing. So my book, Strong Advice, primarily, I wrote the book that I wanted. So I've been I've been training since I was about fifteen or sixteen, so about two decades now, which uh, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. But when I first started out, like a lot of young men or young people going to the gym, I didn't really know what I was doing. I kind of just wander around the gym, you know. I'd, I'd read some muscle magazines and try to implement the workouts that all these. uh Roided up bodybuilders were using and stuff, yeah. but um, I essentially wrote the book that I wish someone could have given to a 15 year old version of me that would have helped me to avoid a lot of the pitfalls when it comes to uh, strength training and nutrition and also mindset and motivation. So that's actually how the book is is split up. It starts with mindset and motivation, then the largest section is on nutrition. Really lays it out for people if you want to uh, build muscle, if you want to to lose fat and not lose a lot of muscle mass at the same time, because people tend to want to lean out, not just stay the same body fat percentage and shrink. It it lays out how to manage your calories, how to manage your macronutrient intake so that you can reach whatever your specific goal is. Even if you're someone who uh, is really skinny and you're trying to gain weight, it explains how to do that in a healthy way. More people obviously are trying to lose weight. It explains that if you're just trying to maintain and perhaps get stronger and stay healthy and fit overall, it lays it all out and it does it without having lots of dogmatic and draconian rules. Um, I don't like to give people a cookie cutter, one size fits all program where it's just like, you know, eat this and eat that. Don't do this. Don't do that. So both when it comes to the nutrition and also in the training section, it's more about giving people general rules and principles which they can then um, understand the basics. And then there's some wiggle room so that you can tailor it for yourself. So whatever type of diet that you eat or foods that you prefer, you know it's not, it's not bogging people down in minutia and detail, which I think is a problem with a lot of the nutrition and fitness work out there. I think sometimes people like to show they're knowledgeable just by throwing out as much complicated stuff as possible but i think when you overload people like that then you get this analysis paralysis and people don't know what to do that's when you start getting people asking crazy questions like oh you know can i can i eat carbs after 6 p.m and it's like if you're asking that question you you you've lost the you you you, you, you've lost the plot or what's the best time of day to train morning or afternoon or it's like it doesn't it doesn't matter when you can get to the gym is the best time for you to train whether it's at night or in the morning afternoon I don't know your lifestyle I don't know what time you go to work I don't know what you do for a living so that's going to vary person to person but if you get this you know it's like the pareto principle if you if you get this 80% of stuff right then you know you, you're sorry more like you're you're going to get 80% of the results from sort of 20% of of what you do so this is the core important stuff mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of room to play within, within these rules, right? If you're trying to lose weight, okay, you know, create a calorie deficit. And then if you, for example, keep your protein levels high and you continue strength training, then you can make sure that the weight that you're losing is going to be primarily body fat rather than lean body mass. Um, sure. Any diet, just, it's just simple thermodynamics, any diet where you're consuming less calories than your, uh, wait, sorry, your, uh, burning more calories than you're consuming, so you yeah you're eating f- fewer calories than than your your, your body's um uh, your body's total daily energy expenditure. Then, wait, am I getting that right? You're mm-hmm. burning yep. yes you're that burning yeah. You're, okay yeah that's right yeah you're burning more calories than you're eating. And anything that does that, you're you're gonna lose weight. I mean i i could eat I could eat five Snickers bars a day and lose weight, but that doesn't mean that it's a good diet or that it's nutritious. Sure, it would put me in a calorie deficit but it's not the best way to do things. So that's really what the book is about. It's, uh, it's concise, it's simple, it's straightforward, primarily aimed at beginners and intermediates. And it's really to get people going. And I also want it to be a reference guide that people can read multiple times and go back to. And if they just need to kind of reset and recalibrate themselves, then Strong Advice can help them with that.
1: You know, I had a, um, uh, a really... There's a little part of Scott Adams, he's the the Dilbert cartoonist, he wrote a book about how to how to fail badly and succeed at everything. And he had one mm. part in there which said, goals are for losers, systems are for winners, right? Mm. So he said if you set a goal, I really it really caught me because I thought it it worked for me, where he said, you know, if you set a goal, I'm gonna lose 10 pounds. What happens when you do that and you get there? Well, now yep. you have to set another goal, right? You've already sort of lost the game. Whereas if you want to win that, you just you make sure you show up at the gym every day. You have a system of how you go about eating. So for me, and I don't know if this works for other people, but for me, intermittent fasting has worked really well. So that's my only hard and fast rule. I have hours I don't eat during. And that simple system works really well for me. Just that alone, that's like I'm like you said, 80-20. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that little 20% of effort right there to just make sure I, I stick within a window gives mm-hmm. me about 80% of the benefits I need, right? Yeah, well, it me. gives
0: you a lot of control. What's great about intermittent fasting is number one, it's extraordinarily hard to overeat if you're only eating in a six to eight hour window. Um, And number two, it makes you very, very conscious about your food and caloric intake. If you're grazing all the way throughout the day and you're drinking beverages, which have calories and you're eating and you're snacking and you're nibbling, it's kind of hard to keep track of. But if you're intermittent fasting and you're just eating say two meals a day, just in a relatively short window, then it's very easy to be clear on, okay, this is exactly how much I ate and that's it. And you're not constantly thinking about food. Also, it means that when you eat, you actually feel satisfied. So even if you're eating at a caloric deficit, you don't have that constant nagging hunger that you might get if you do the old school bodybuilder bro thing of eating six or seven meals scattered all throughout the day when you're never actually reaching satiation.
1: Right, right, right. So, um, Fantastic, so strong advice. I, I'll, I'll steer people towards that for sure. I want to get back to something though, because we were talking about data, and here we're talking about you know information and data that might apply to health. But when we were talking about COVID before, you said something that was really important, and I think it was captured in a tweet that you, you had out um, earlier. It's just November 29th here. It says, "quote Don't get it twisted. There are millions of people who don't want the COVID nineteen hype and policies to ever end. They found meaning in it, and now it's an integral part of their identity." Um, do you think that's the case that there are people who, who like, they are now somehow attached to the, to whatever this narrative is, which, uh, feels they found meaning in it. How, how is that possible?
0: Wow. <laughs> that's yeah, I absolutely do think that's true. I'm not saying it's a majority of people, but I think it's a, it's a significant percentage. Um, and you can see it and you can hear it. You can, you can see it with your own eyes. Um, I look. I'm not. I'm not a psychologist, but from what I know of psychology, there are certain things that human beings always seek. Um, one of those things is purpose. Mm-hmm. One of those things is meaning. Mm-hmm. Another thing is a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Another thing is a sense of morality. Now, traditionally, a lot of these things come from religion or even from philosophy. Um, They can come from various ways, but in the absence of those things, or when a very strong narrative is pushed, people can find these things in politics. They can find it in um, people who become extremely fanatical about almost almost any subject area of interest. And I think that with the narrative that has been pushed and that many people have been indoctrinated to over the course of this period of time, it's also done that for them where people actually feel that the more frightened they are or the more frightened they pretend to be and how much they project that to the world and grandstand and virtue signaling about how much they are following the rules and following the code and how concerned they are and how much they're abiding by all of this, it actually, you know, they give each other a pat on, a pat on the back for this. And they feel that they are, you know, it provides the meaning, the purpose. They've then got their community. They've also got this sense of morality because then they can demonize people who are not adhering as strongly to their secular religion as, um, as they are. Mm And I, I think also some people prior to all of this, honestly, had very boring lives. And so they want to have an enemy. They want to have some drama. They want to feel like they're, I mean, you know, we, we had people at the beginning of this saying, you know, this is our, this is our generation's World War II. And I'm like, man, if that's the truth, our generation is lame because <laughs> this is... <laughs> like to to compare this to world war ii is is frankly frankly an embarrassment yeah. um you know it's not it's it's not like it, it it hasn't been been quite that deep but that's really how some people want to imagine it and people like to be heroes in their own story of course and to have a hero you also need to have villains and i think that's also why you've seen people Vilifying others and creating these tribal divisions and wanting to attack each other, so on and so forth. As I've said before, this is not this is not everybody, um, but it's certainly it's certainly millions. I'd say at least hundreds of millions, mm-hmm. possibly into the billions, if you're looking on a global scale. And so it's it's led to it's led us to this strange, very strange place. Which I think that if you were to go back to 2019 and try to explain. Where things are right now in December 2021, if you were try to explain this to people, they wouldn't believe you, right? They, it, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't make sense. They'd be very, very confused and be getting all types of mixed mm-hmm. signals. Um, but it's happened, it's happened quickly, but it's also happened quite slowly. But I think that when people are again, when people are operating from a position of fear and anxiety, then that fear tends to override. Their Mm -hmm. rational thinking and their ability and capacity just to be just to be reasonable and to be balanced and to not just, you know, the emotions kind of override everything. And um, it it leads to it leads to some bizarre behaviors.
1: It it does. So if I if I understood you correctly, there were some preconditions that were in place prior to covid. Right. So people's lives lacked meaning. They lacked purpose. Maybe they were working in a bullshit job, as David Graeber would say, or they, in some way, um, their lives weren't all that satisfying, and then all of a sudden COVID comes along and it provides this sort of organizing principle for some folks. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, as I think into that, uh, let me try a theory out on you. So, um, I've noticed that for whatever reason, you're you're a very thoughtful, very free-thinking person, and for whatever reason... When I look at your media appearances, they are t- typically on right-of-center platforms if we're doing a left-right spectrum, sure. right? So we'll call that conservatives. Conservatives seem to be more interested to hear what you had to say. I've noticed that um, left-of-center seems to be more caught up in this uh, mm-hmm. this thing. So here's my theory. Um, the left really ejected, you started with the word religion. They ejected it pretty solidly from their framework a long time ago. I look across every single culture, tribal, um, aboriginal, hierarchical, Western, people have religion. It's been part of the human construct forever. So that need for that spiritual connection, well, if you eject it, I think that it just gets replaced with something, and it got replaced with a faith in government. So I see people with an almost religious faith in Fauci, and I'm like, never put your faith in a human, Mm -hmm, right? mm Because I'm a human. It's a bad idea, right? (laughs)
0: You're, You're absolutely correct, and we've seen this in the past in history. Um, it's not by accident that when you look at the totalitarian regimes of the 20th century, something that they were extremely hostile towards is organized religion, extremely hostile, whether you're looking at the, um, whether you're looking at Maoist China or you're looking at Stalinist Soviet union, or you're looking at Nazi Germany, or you are looking at um, Paul, Paul Pot's Vietnam, whatever it is, they were, they're always extraordinarily hostile towards organized religion because it's, it's competition. It's very, very hard to indoctrinate people into, um, an ideology if they already have a strong faith and belief system, but as human beings, we're hierarchical. We're always, we're always looking up towards a higher power or higher authority. And in the absence of a belief in God, in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, especially on a large societal level, That ends up with people either worshiping themselves, (laughs) or the state and the the Mm -hmm. government, or, like I said before, some some other type of ideology. And so, when people are doing that and they believe that all of their inherent rights and privileges and worth and value and whatever comes from the government or from some human authority, then that their behavior then makes makes more sense because they don't truly believe that they have any inherent rights. The government can just say, okay, like you can do this or you can't do this and people just 100% go along with it. or if they you know to me, something that's interesting is that the you know there, there's an interesting connection and this is something I've been kind of thinking about a lot. I haven't really I'm sort of thinking out loud here, but this sort of connection between, laws and morality, right? I think the good laws and the laws that we all agree on are absolutely based in morality, right? Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, uh, thou shalt not you know, assault other people, hurt other people, take other people's stuff, give false testimony, etc. cetera. Um, we, we all agree on these things typically across every, every society and every culture. But it's also possible, and again, we've seen this many times throughout history, where you have a law that is not moral. And so that's, that's an interesting thing to consider. I mean, if you, if you look even across the world, I mean, how, for how many thousands of years was an institution as, as obviously horrific as slavery totally legal and, and justified? Mm-hmm. Um, that it was never right. Um, it was never moral but it was in law. You've had you know, segregationist policies in law, absolutely discriminatory policies in law, and you still do in some places. Um, but that doesn't mean that it is right. It doesn't mean it's moral. It doesn't mean that it's correct. And so I think it's interesting to consider, I guess from a philosophical perspective, this, this correlation between legal and moral right? Because you can absolutely have a law, which is highly immoral. In fact, there that, 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 that's happened before. And you could have something that's a, a very moral and correct act, which in circum, certain circumstances becomes illegal or unlawful. Um, I think in a healthy society and with healthy governance, that we, we typically avoid this, but it's certainly something that can, that can happen. But I think that, um, as I said before, if, if the government is viewed as this sort of infallible, omnipotent authority, um, and you have to remember when I, when I say government, you're, you're just talking about human beings. You're just talking about politicians, many of whom are not any more knowledgeable, respectful, honest, or decent than the average person on the street. In fact, I would argue the average person on the street is probably more trustworthy than the average politician because they're not seeking that power and funnily enough people simultaneously recognize this but they also sort of reject it they 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 pay it lip service they'll say oh you know i don't trust these people whatever but they'll they'll still kind of they'll still implicitly trust them in their behavior yeah. um so uh, to me it's just something where that pe- people should be more a bit more judicious about and maybe a little bit more skeptical of um, I, I have my, my reasons for my skepticism I'm not I'm not a I'm not a cynic I'm not cynical about everything but uh, I try to sort of weigh it up and at least do the thinking and see okay what's what's making sense here or what's not making sense yeah
1: yeah I um, very well said so I want to explore this idea because what you described is that for a long time laws prescribed what you couldn't do mm-hmm. right and that's how it was organized but with the covid passports, the vaccine passports now, all of Europe, Canada, US, Australia, New Zealand, principally, are modeling what we see in China, which is which is a, a digital thing that prescribes what you can do. Now, mm-hmm. this is actually a gigantic shift from Magna Carta prescribing forward what you can't do in law to mm-hmm. suddenly saying, we're going to invert all of that because we're smart enough. Tell you what, we're going to tell you what you can do. Based Mm -hmm. on this thing, and by the way, it's an emergency, we have to do it just today, right before we started this recording, the EU uh, commission president announced that they're exploring making vaccines mandatory for all citizens in Europe, right, and put this passport as a condition of that. So isn't that, Zuby, this is a huge shift going from you can't kill people, you can't lie, you can't cheat, you can't steal, to, oh, if you want to go to the gym, if you want to eat at a restaurant, you're going to, this is what you can do. Mm -hmm. This deserves a really full-throated conversation, and we're having almost none except at the edges, as it were. But the center mass is not interested in exploring whether or not we should even do this. Um, It's because
0: people have been convinced that it's about their health and their well-being. And if you oppose any measure that people believe, rightly or wrongly, mm -hmm. is for their health, well-being, safety, and security, then you are made to look like the bad guy. You're made to look like the person who is immoral or trying to hurt people or trying to kill people or doesn't care about the greater good or about humanity, community, et cetera, so on and so forth, right. We've seen this throughout this entire period. And so the powers that be are able to capitalize off of that, I'd say in a very um, malicious <laughs> malicious fashion, um, mm-hmm. and institute all kinds all kinds of powers that previously would have been unthinkable. In the Western world, right? Um, it, it's amazing watching this whole thing because the so-called most liberal and most democratic places, and in, in many instances, have been the most authoritarian and the most tyrannical throughout this whole thing. Um, it, it's it's a very it's been a very weird inversion that's going on. It's more of a move towards more of like a China model, as you were saying before where it's not that, okay, you can go about and live your life and do what you want without permission until you explicitly cannot do something because it infringes on someone else's rights to moving towards this, you know, wanting, needing to ask permission to do everything right. need permission to go outside, need permission to go see your friends, need permission to go see your family, need permission to just do basic things in life that previously you never needed permission for, or to show your papers for, or to be identified for all of that. And I think the reason why people are 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 slipping into it is that. I also think it's just complacency. I think it's complacency, and I also do think it's cowardice as well. I do think I do think that it's um, yeah. It, it it's it frustrates me to say that, yeah. but but I I think that's what it is. People want to keep their head below the parapet, and. If you do that, look. As far as I'm concerned, the greatest inheritance you can give to any future generation, or I don't even know if it's the greatest. I think the most basic inheritance that you should give them is that they shall have the same. They should have the same individ, individual rights, freedoms, and liberties as you've had growing up, right? I think like at a minimum, you want to you want to protect that. You want to pass down freedom to the next generation. Um, and I think that the current course people are doing a very poor job of that, for the most part. There's a lot of people a lot of people fighting. There's a lot of people pushing back. There's a lot of people speaking up and the narrative is, is breaking down and things are changing. Um, but for so-called, I mean, if you think of how hard people fought for freedom in the past,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? We were, ta- we were right. talking about World War II before World War mm-hmm. I. This is literally people, millions and millions of people sacrificing their lives very in a very direct manner mm-hmm. to avoid totalitarianism, right? To, to avoid, to avoid um, just to be able to live freely and for their children, grandchildren, and so on, to be able to live freely without dictatorial rule. Because we have to remember human beings always, human societies lean towards authoritarianism as a default. Freedom and liberty is actually the exception across the world and throughout history. It's the exception. Actually, that's why the USA was such an exceptional country. It's the first country that was founded without any king, or dictator. <laughs> Prior to that, it's all monarchies and dictators. And then you had the USA and in the founding of the USA, the, the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, a lot of stuff was set up very well on paper. As we know, it took a long period of time for everything that was written down to be properly applied and actually truly tr- um, truly applying to all, all citizens of all colors, of both genders, so on and so forth. I think the the sort of promise was made and the paper was there, but people weren't really living. People were not living according to it at the time. And over over the the period of of a couple centuries, the USA and I'd say the West in general has has strived to get these individual rights for everybody. And there have been a lot of fights and a lot of battles, both physically and verbally, to get there. So, with what I'm seeing is like, look. Let's 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 not lose that. Let's not let's not jettison that. that. That that's so important. It's so unique. It's so valuable. Um. So so let us not be so comfortable that we that we take it for granted. Again, per- perhaps it's better. Let, let's look at it the other way around. Right. We were talking before about um because someone might hear this and think, oh, you know, you're, you're overreacting. Everything's going to go back to normal. As I was saying before, perhaps it's better to overreact at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then scale back once it's like, okay, all right, it's not going as far as we fear it might, but that's not what we're seeing. We're currently seeing things not everywhere, but in a lot of places, things are worse now than they were just a year ago. People have less freedom now than they did a year ago, which doesn't even make sense if you're talking back to the original threat. That doesn't make any sense logically. Yeah. Um, but that's but that's what's happening. And if you're seeing what's going on in places like you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, certain parts of Europe, certain um, democratic states in the USA and so on. then you can see with the direction that things are are trending in. Um, and I always believe that look ultimately governments are always going to try to increase their power and these politicians, whether they're mayors, prime ministers, presidents, whatever, you know they, they, these are people who like power. they crave power. Um, that, that's why they're. that's literally by definition why they're in those positions so they always have to be kept in check we have to remember that these people are supposed to work for us we pay their salaries we're the people who elect them they're public servants they're not leaders and dictators and kings and queens and i think that that balance of power and accountability is often forgot certainly by them but i think it's also forgotten by the average person as well
1: what very well said and um uh, one reflection of that last part is Uh, Fauci has this really dark series of emails that came out January 29th, 2020 through February Mm -hmm. 2nd, where they were worried about this lab leak hypothesis coming out. And he didn't call in any NIH scientists. He called in all these shadowy sort of like people around the world who probably the most conflict of interest people in the story. And those emails got redacted and senators and congressmen in the United States can't get access to them. So we have Mm -hmm. a career bureaucrat able to Um, not even, not only not serve the people, but not even be responsive to the highest elected officials of the people. It tells you sort of where we are in the story, right? It's, it's, we've gotten to a fairly. Uh,
0: The fact that that guy is still on TV every day, giving, giving advice and being treated (laughs) as some kind of exalted hero is one of the most mind blowing things I've seen over, over the past few years. I can't explain uh, it at all. It's crazy. Uh, It's, it's truly, truly crazy. Um. He must be the most. I know he's the highest paid public public official in the USA, right? Um, yeah, the, oh, yeah publicly, I,
1: the, the, the money we know about.
0: Yeah, I, I think he must also be one of the most one of the most protected. Clearly, because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't think anyone else could have gotten away with the awful stuff that guy has done over the decades. Not just in these past couple of years, but over the decades. Um, it, it's it's yep. pretty mind blowing. It's very yeah. mind blowing.
1: Well, uh, I interviewed uh, RFK Jr. a while back, and he just came out with a book, uh, The Real Anthony mm. Fauci. You ever want your mind blown in a really dark way? That book is, <laughs> it's a thousand pages of just like documented evidence. This guy, just what he did on HIV alone should have disqualified yeah. him from anything for, from life, uh, you know, thereafter, yeah. except maybe. It's
0: crazy, and it's its not just that he's looked at in this neutral way. It's that so many people think he's some kind of some kind of hero. It's the level yeah. of hero worship around him that's really, really strange. You know, I, don't, I generally don't like to speak on individuals. I like to talk more on ideas, um, but I think that's a good example of just the power of media propaganda and the yeah. power of, you know, when they want to make somebody a hero or turn somebody into a villain, just how much power and how many tools at their disposal uh, oh. there are. It's a frightening thing.
1: It's like that, right? Andrew Cuomo was the hero of of COVID, and uh, next thing you know, he's gone. Right? They just that Mm -hmm. that turned like on a dime. So, um, well, these are really powerful moments. So, first question then is: um, if we don't turn the tide here, the trajectory we are on, where does it go?
0: I think you end up with a Chinese-style social credit score system.
1: What's the risk of that?
0: The risk of that is having a potentially irreversible society where you are no longer, you no longer have the basic human rights and civil liberties that we have all grown accustomed to throughout our entire lives. And through the past several decades, you no longer have equality under the law. You no longer have people having remotely equal access to various things. You have a state of medical coercion and tyranny where you no longer truly own your body and your own basic autonomy you have no privacy you're tracked everywhere that you go it's it's it ends up with like a 1984 type of dystopian future um, where yeah you, you 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 no longer have the liberty that we are are used to and you can now be monitored and controlled and punished and restricted based on things that previously would have been pretty innocuous. And I think that's, um, that's, a, that's a terrifying thought. And I think that the technology that we have is something that can ultimately... Technology has the power to free and also the power to enslave. And I think we've already seen with our, uh, with our smartphones and social media and all that stuff uh, just how much we can choose to be partially, willingly enslaved by technology to some extent. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm concerned, that's kind of like a, a warm up for a for a potential future. So I think we need to be very careful with technology. I think we need to be very vigilant in terms of our own rights and liberties and being able to answer those type of questions. Like, you know, why why is it important? Why why does this matter? Yeah. Why is it even unique? Why shouldn't we just give? everything to the powers that be and the bureaucrats and whatever. And I think also you have to consider that the, you know, the, ultimately the locus of power should be with individuals. If you're an adult, you know, it should ultimately be up to you, how you choose to live your life and raise your family and look after your loved ones and so on and so forth. Right. That is, that's, the beauty of it, right within, again, of course, within 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 basic legal boundaries, um, you should have those abilities and those choices, and that's what makes you powerful. And I think if you if you empower the individual, you also empower the family, and you also empower the community, and thus you empower the country, and you you empower the world. Um, I think that that's the best way you can fix things. I mean, that's, that's the way you continue to improve society. And as, again, it was, we, we, we've tried these collective experiments before where people try to socially engineer a whole population of millions and millions of people. And it always ends in, it ends in bloods. It ends in bloodshed. It ends in genocide. It, gen, it ends in war. It ends in horrible stuff. And that experiment has run several times just in the past century. So I don't want to do it again. I don't, I'm not trying to do communism 3.0 or 4.0. Let's uh, we've got a model that is imperfect, but it's striving towards the best that we're going to get, and that is based on individual civil liberties and rights, being able to respect each other's choices and decisions and opinions, having free speech, being able to have open open conversations, and uh, not be censored and deplatformed, and all of this. And ultimately, just to strive for decency and kindness and treating people fairly and equally as much as we can.
1: I think that's the, the nub of it here, which is that I, I just ne- I've just met you. Um, I can tell that you trust people to do what's right for themselves, even if that means they're going to do something boneheaded. And they'll mm-hmm. learn from that because that's the path they were supposed to take in life, I guess, or something like that. I feel that our leaders our authoritarians. They don't trust humans. They, they really treat us with disdain. Right. They don't even mm. give us a comprehensive narrative that makes sense about, say, <laughs> vaccines or vitamin D or, you know, your kids have to be masked up. Your five year old needs to go to school in a mask. We can't show you any science that supports that. But we can be pretty sure psychologists tell us that they will be damaged because that's the point of life when they're trying to learn social cues, which is immensely complicated, subtle. And and it requires a lot of uh, wiring of the of the neuro pathways, and we're just going to mask that up because, because that's what's required to you know be conforming to this narrative that we have right now. So we're even like in the business of ritualistically sacrificing children's development mm-hmm. on the altar of this narrative, and that to me is a is a highly disdainful thing to agree. S- to enforce on people.
0: I agree. I think it's reprehensible. I think it's absolutely reprehensible to sacrifice children for the sake of, uh, neurotic adults.
1: Absolutely. So, um, so as we come to the end of this Zuby, what's next for you, where do people find you, follow you? We didn't even get into your music. Um,
0: (laughs) That's all good, man. There's a lot to talk about. I know.
1: Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I gave people your Twitter handle, but literally how, how do people find you, follow you?
0: Yeah, sure thing. So you can find me on all social media at Zuby music. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, minds.com. Um, You can find me at Zuby Music. That's Z-U-B-Y Music. Um, And if you want to check out my music, my merchandise books, go to teamzubi.com. And if you want to check out my music and podcast, my podcast is called Real Talk with Zuby. Those are available on Spotify um, and also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and so on.
1: Well, you've shown all of us today why you are worthy of following. I mean, absolutely. Just a first class mind and thinker and speaker and user of words, all of that. So, Zuby, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, you got a big fan here. Anything I can do to help? Uh, Appreciate it. Your message got out you, Chris. there. Let me know.
0: Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it.